You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from Score Zag Score and taking over here at Locked On. Today's episode is sponsored by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. All right, I want to thank you all for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Whether you are a new listener to the show, new to my content specifically, or coming over from my previous show, a reminder to please follow and subscribe to this podcast wherever you already get podcasts, and to look out for an upcoming YouTube channel, which is going to start in the next couple weeks for those of you who are more visual or who just want to see what kind of setup I have in my quote-unquote podcast studio. The NBA season begins on Tuesday, and many of you are probably listening to this on Tuesday, so it felt like a perfect time to release my Zags in the NBA comprehensive season preview. There are 10, guys, 10 Zags currently rostered in the NBA. They're on teams, 10 of them. So we're going to discuss those 10 guys in the first two segments today, and then the third segment, we're going to talk about eight other guys who I think have a reasonable chance of playing in the NBA this year. There's no doubt in my mind that this will be the season with the most zags in NBA history. It's barring a a season-ending injury to somebody, God forbid, we will see double-digit zags in the NBA, which is an incredible accomplishment. I'm so excited to go over each and every single one of them today. For each player, I'm going to provide a brief history of the player, their expected role in production for them this season in the NBA, and one burning question I have. Segment one, we're going to start with the veterans, and we're going to start with the oldest player in the NBA from Gonzaga. That would, of course, be Detroit Pistons forward Kelly Olynyk. Quick history on Kelly. He's entering his ninth NBA season. Obviously, he spent majority of that with Boston and Miami. He spent part of last season with Houston. Then he signed a three-year contract with the Pistons. The reason that he was able to sign such a lucrative contract entering his ninth season is because for the last 24 games with Houston, or excuse me, 27 games with Houston last year, the dude balled out. Basically, he's been 10 and 5 his entire career, 10 points, 5 rebounds. Every season, just consistently, hyper-consistent, one of the most consistent dudes in the NBA. And then last year, he got a chance to start for Houston. They were rebuilding. They could afford to give some other guys opportunities. And Kelly went out for 19 points and 8.5 rebounds per game. It was remarkable, this huge run for him. He looked fantastic. Now he heads to Detroit. His expected role in Detroit, he's not going to be a starter. Detroit's rebuilding. They're planning to start Isaiah Stewart and Jeremy Grant at the center and power forward spots. ESPN depth charts have Kelly as the backup at both spots, so I think he's going to play a lot. Detroit wouldn't have signed him for the amount of money they signed him to to not have him play. He's a veteran presence. Kelly's there. He's excited. He's excited about the young group. He kind of mentioned, like, wanting to be around a team with this kind of energy. I think he's going to be a great fit for them. I do think he's going to play like 25-ish minutes per night. I don't think, again, they didn't sign him to have him be like buried on the bench. He's going to play, and he's going to play a lot. And if Grant or Stewart struggle, he's going to step right into a starting role. I really believe he's. they, they brought him into play. Uh, I expect probably going to go back to those old numbers, the 10 and 5, the, the old favorites. You know, I think... A lot of people saw this 19 and 10 that he put up last year and kind of think maybe that's something he's going to do. But you don't see a player spend their entire 20s putting up 10 and 5, put up 19 and 8 for half season or a third of a season, and then start doing that regularly. It's just not going to happen. Maybe we'll see flashes of it. Maybe we'll see streaks where he'll get on fire. 
But I expect his full season line to be right in line with that 10 and 5 that he's put up throughout his career, which honestly for Detroit is great. They're not paying him to be a 20 and 10 guy. They would love it if he was, but they're paying him to be a 10 and 5 guy, a reliable presence, a steady outside shooter for a seven footer, a guy who can play both power forward and center. And I think they're going to get all of that. So again, my burning question for Kelly, were those 27 games in Houston the best he's going to be? If I had to answer it, I would say probably, but you never know. It's not like players hit their 30s and immediately fall off a cliff. He could still end up being very good, and I think we could still see some really nice stretches from him. But that 27 games is probably going to be, it's going to stand out on Kelly's when looking at his resume at the end of his career. It's going to stand out as a bit of an anomaly, and that's okay because I think he's going to be rock solid for Detroit. Next player, two-time All-Star DeMontis Sabonis for the Indiana Pacers. Uh, player history, sixth NBA season, fifth with Indiana. He, of course, started his career with the Oklahoma City Thunder and was horribly misused by Billy Donovan on that roster. He ended up getting traded along with Victor Oladipo to the Indiana Pacers for Paul George in a trade that really worked out well for Indiana in a lot of ways. It's kind of a trade that doesn't look great for either side at this point because Indiana doesn't have Oladipo. Oklahoma City does not have Paul George anymore. But DeMontis Sabonis is still around. He's made back-to-back All-Star games. He won the Skills Challenge last year. Last year's numbers were absolutely staggering. Just as a reminder, for people who remember that he was good last year, he averaged 20.3 points, 12 rebounds, and 6.7 assists. Those were his averages. That is incredible. Some legitimately elite production from Sabonis last year, 62 games. He dealt with some injuries, but regardless, an incredible season for him. Expected role this year, more of the same. (laughs) This is what Indiana wants him to do. The team is kind of rebuilding. They're a non-playoff team in the Eastern Conference, which is a rough spot to be. They have Karis LeVert, good young guard. They drafted Chris Duarte, a guy that I really like, but this is a team that's kind of rebuilding, and Sabonis is is a centerpiece. He's a big part of that. I think because their guard play is going to suffer a little bit without Oladipo, he's going to be relied upon even more to be a playmaker in this offense, which is something he's really good at. My burning question for Sabonis, how long is Indiana going to hold on to him? He's signed for a couple more years. He's got a big contract extension. It's tough to trade players who have big contracts like that. But if Indiana is truly not going to win in the Eastern Conference, you might kind of look at tearing it down to the screws. And Sabonis is a player that they could get a lot for in a trade, even with that big contract. They could probably get something for him. So I'm going to be watching closely to see if Indiana decides to pull the plug or if they decide to try to rebuild pieces around him. They have some options, obviously. They don't need to trade Sabonis, but it's something I'm going to be watching very closely because he could make just about every team in the NBA better. Next up is Zach Collins. Zach Collins is entering his fourth NBA season, his first with San Antonio, his first three years were all with the Portland Trailblazers, but he only played in 154 games. In fact, he only played 11 games the past two seasons. He had a shoulder injury that took him out for basically the entire COVID season. And then last year, he was dealing with some significant ankle injuries. Huge bummer for the kid. Three years in Portland, before he got hurt, he was the starting power forward. They had kind of built the roster around him being a huge integral piece and things fell apart when he got hurt. Now he's in San Antonio. He signed a three-year, $22.5 million contract, which is an incredible deal for Zach Collins to get three years when he has only played 11 games in the last two years. Really nice deal for him. It shows that teams still really believe in his talent. He's still very young, third year in the NBA or fourth year in the NBA, but he left as a freshman. So we're talking about a kid who's really, really young. Averaged five and a half points, four rebounds for Portland. Now he's in San Antonio. Expected role. He's out past Christmas, according to Coach Greg Popovich, with the ankle injury. So he's still not 100%. He hasn't fully recovered. He's not going to be recovered in time to start the NBA season. Doesn't sound like he's going to be in time to play basketball in the year 2021 at all. May not see him back until January or so of 2022. 
once he's back, it's kind of hard to know where he's going to play. Looking at San Antonio's depth chart, they're pretty deep. They have J- Jakob Pertl, Keldon Johnson, Drew Eubanks, Thaddeus Young, Jock Landale from <laughs> from St. Mary's. Remember him? That's a lot of dudes in the front court. And I don't see anybody except for maybe Jock that Zach is definitively ahead of. At 100%, he's probably going to challenge Thaddeus Young. He might challenge Drew Eubanks for some minutes there. But if he's not quite 100%, he's not going to play over this guy. So the burning question for Zach Collins is, is he going to crack the rotation this year? My gut says no. I don't think so. And I think it's part because he's going to miss the first big chunk of the year. It's really hard to, when you're already down on the depth chart, it's hard to work your way up the depth chart in general in the NBA. But it's even harder when you're coming back from an injury. That doesn't mean that his career's over or if he doesn't play for San Antonio this year that he's a bust or anything like that. It just means San Antonio signed him for three years because they want to see what they can get out of him across a three-year period. They don't just want to see what he can do this year. They know that this year's a little bit of a, of a down year for him. So I'm really in, enthusiastic. I'm excited about Zach Collins. I've been a longtime fan of his. I was bummed to see him leave Portland. I understand why things weren't working out there. Fan base was getting a little restless with him. Hopefully a, a restart in San Antonio will be just what he needs. May not happen this year, but I'm still excited about his future. Next up is Brandon Clark on the Memphis Grizzlies, one of Two now Memphis Grizzlies from Gonzaga. There was three briefly. We'll get to that later in the show. Uh, Brandon Clark is entering his third season all with Memphis. I uh, took a step back in year two. His his role got reduced dramatically. It was a very common talking point among Zag Twitter and Gonzaga's fan base in general is kind of what happened with Brandon Clark. He he had a significant role as a rookie. He plays 13 or so points per game, played quite a few minutes last year. He started out like that, but his shot just vanished. Uh, it seemed like Memphis messed with his shot form. He had this weird hitch coming into last year. Now, he wasn't a good three-point shooter in college, but as a rookie, he shot 35.9%. League average is 37. So as a rookie, Brandon Clark was a league average three-point shooter, which is really good for a dude who wasn't taking them in college. Last year, that dropped all the way to 26%. That is a staggering drop. Staggering. So obviously something was wrong. His his shot form was off. He was wonky. Maybe he got the yips. I don't know. He just couldn't he couldn't shoot anymore. And Memphis had kind of shoehorned him into this role where they needed him to be more of a perimeter presence, which is honestly bad coaching in my mind. I know a lot of people have been dunking all over Memphis. I think part of it was that he was unplayable in the playoffs because of the matchups, and that's wasn't necessarily Memphis's fault or even Brandon Clark's fault. It was just the situation they were in. But trying to make him a, a perimeter player is is a bad idea. It's what the OKC did with DeMontis Sabonis, and it bit them in the keister because they traded him for pennies on the dollar. He ended up blossoming into a superstar in Indiana. Maybe the same thing happens with Brandon Clark. He's a perimeter player. He's a shot blocker. He's an interior scorer. He's not much of an outside shooter. If he adds a three-point shot, great. That's a nice bonus. But I think relying on that being a part of his game for him to be playable is a mistake. Expected role this year, there's not, it doesn't look like it's going to change. He's backing up Jaron Jackson. He's the third string center behind Steven Adams and Xavier Tillman. I don't see him even getting up past 22, 25 minutes per night. Uh, Maybe he plays right in that range, but because of what happened to him last year, unless he's dramatically improved as a perimeter player or Memphis goes back to using him the way they used him as a rookie instead of using him the way they did last year, I don't really see either of those things happening, so I'm not sure there's this great fit for him, which is a huge bummer because he's extremely talented and he should be playing 20 plus minutes per night in the NBA on a regular basis. The burning question I have for Brandon Clark is Memphis going to deal him. He doesn't fit with what they want him to do. It seems like they made a mistake either by drafting him to try to turn him into something else or I don't, I don't know exactly what happened. That's, that's what it seems like happened. And if that's the case, they need to cut their losses, make a deal. They'll end up trading him for not as much as he's worth, which is 
bad for them. Good for good for Brandon, Brandon Clark. If he ends up going somewhere else, a team that, you know, like Indiana did, sees him, sees what he's good at, uses utilizes him correctly in the right role, he could be fantastic. I'd be surprised if Memphis moves on him this year because they still have him under contract. They used a first-round pick on him. They don't want to give up on him early. But that's going to be something I'm watching for is does, does Memphis look to potentially move him if they just don't feel like it's working out? Last but not least in our veteran group is, of course, Rui Hachimura for the Washington Wizards. Also entering his third NBA season, him and Clark were first-round picks together, all with Washington. He's made 105 starts in his two NBA seasons. That is 105 games, 105 starts. He is the starting power forward for the Washington Wizards, bar none. It is not debatable. He averaged 13.7 points and 5.8 rebounds across those two years. Basically the exact same production in year one and year two. His numbers really didn't change at all. 47.5% shooter from the field. And he went from a 28.7% three-point shooter as a freshman, or excuse me, as a rookie, to a 32.8% shooter in his second year. That's a really nice step up, about 5% increase on his three-point shot. Expected role this year, obviously I talked about this a little bit in the mailbag episode. Rui was away from the team during the preseason for what was vaguely described as mental health reasons. Obviously, I don't know all of the details there, nor do we need to know all of the details there. It is not really our business. Hopefully, he is feeling better now. He is back. He went through COVID protocols, so he's ready to rejoin the team. It is unclear if he's going to step directly back onto the playing court or if he's going to need a little bit of time to ramp up. That seems very plausible to me, depending on what he was doing while he was gone this time. But once he's back and 100% and ready to go, he's, he's the starting power forward. It's not going to change. He's still going to be that guy. He's still going to play 30 minutes per night. He's going to put up 14 and 8, something like that. There's more depth behind him because Washington traded Russell Westbrook for a whole bunch of depth, including Kyle Kuzma and Montrezl Harrell, guys like that, who, who can play the power forward spot. So I think he may have more competition for minutes. But unless he significantly drops off, which is just not going to happen, he's going to be the guy. My big question for Rui Hachimura is, are we going to continue to see that three-point shot rise? If he increases it another 5% this year, he goes from 33% to 38%. That's a little bit above league average. If Rui is a slightly below, below, excuse me, slightly above average three-point shooter, along with the rest of his offensive game, which includes straight light drives to the basket, he's got incredible athleticism, he's got a good mid-range. If he adds that three-point shot at a more consistent level to his arsenal, he's an elite offensive player, or very close to an elite offensive player. He's still got some work to do defensively. There's not really a secret about that. But improving that three-point shot is going to be paramount to him becoming the type of player he can be, which is, frankly, an all-star. He's that good. And this would be a huge step for him if he could make strides in that regard this year. All right, so we've covered the old heads in the NBA from Gonzaga. Coming up in the second segment, we're going to discuss Killian Tilly and the four rookies, the two, the, all the guys who are within their first two years in the NBA. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and I know that you will too. Prize Picks is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world, and offer all the star players from not only the Power Five schools but your favorite mid-major players as well. I know that's appealing for those Gonzaga fans. New users that deposit and use the promo code Locked On will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Price Picks allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out PricePicks.com and use promo code Locked On, or go to your App Store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Today's episode is also sponsored by Rock Auto. 
With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. RockAuto is a family business, serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Plus, RockAuto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. I just had my 13-year-old car serviced recently, and I can tell you having one place to find all the parts I need makes things infinitely easier. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right. First segment, we talk about five Zags who have been in the NBA for three or more years. This segment, we're talking about the younger guys. In this case, we're talking about the four rookies who are about to make their NBA debuts this year. And then, of course, Killian Tilly, who is entering his second NBA season. We'll start with Killian Tilly, his player history. He is entering his second NBA season. Like I said, he is on a two-way contract with the Memphis Grizzlies, which is the same deal he was on last year. Last year, he made it into 18 NBA games, pretty much exclusively in garbage time. He made one start at the very end of the year in a game that was ultimately meaningless. Uh, Didn't play a ton, but that's kind of how it goes when you're an undrafted free agent in your first year. Uh, This year, more of the same. We kind of talked about how there's already a roster crunch in Memphis. Brandon Clark barely has enough opportunities to play. Tilly's listed as like fifth or sixth on the depth chart at both the power forward and center spot. I think he's going to play a lot in the G League. I think when he does play in the NBA, he's going to show he's going to be the same guy that he always is. He's a good three-point shooter. He's got high basketball IQ, all of that stuff. I just don't think we're going to see a ton of him this year. Uh, and my my burning question, he only shot 30.3% last year. It's really hard to be a consistent three-point shooter when you're playing two to three minutes off the bench in garbage time. I'd love to see him be a little bit better in that regard this year. It's what's going to keep him in the NBA is how well he can shoot the rock from beyond the arc. Moving forward, talking about the rookies, we'll of course start with Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs with the fifth overall pick in the NBA draft. He should have been fourth, but the Toronto Raptors, for some reason, went with Scotty Barnes. They liked length, and they did not want to go with Jalen Suggs in that regard. So Suggs fell to Orlando at the fifth pick. He had a rough preseason uh, he had some highlights. He had some putback dunks. He had some deep threes. Uh, a lot of plays that we saw all over Gonzaga Twitter. But he also struggled. His his outside shot was inconsistent. He made some turnovers. He he, he struggled a little bit, and that's okay. He's a rookie. It's going to happen. He's nineteen. Uh, expected role in production this year. Uh, he's going to start at shooting guard. It sounds like alongside Cole Anthony, who's going to play the one. Uh, he does have some competition for playing time. Gary Harris and Michael Carter Williams are two veteran options who could play some combo guard minutes. R.J. Hampton is going to be in the mix there as well. But they didn't draft him to not play him. He's going to play a lot. Orlando's a bad team. Uh, they're not going to be a good team this year. Jalen Suggs is not going to make them a good team. It is not because he is not good. It is because the rest of their team is just not very good at all. I think he's going to get a lot of playing time. He's going to challenge for Rookie of the Year, quite frankly. He's that good, and he, his volume is what matters when looking at Rookie of the Year. So I think we're going to we're going to see a really, really fun rookie year. One of the best rookie years in Gonzaga history. I'm willing to state that. I think he's going to be that good this year. My burning question, the same question everybody else has. Can he knock down shots from long range? I know as a Gonzaga fan base, we are fierce to defend Jalen Suggs when people point out that he's not a good outside shooter. I am like that. I do it as well. But quite frankly, he needs to prove it. 
there's only so much we can do to defend Jalen Suggs. The best way he can do it is by knocking down a bunch of threes. I think he can do it. I'm curious to see how it looks in year one. Next up, a guy who doesn't have to worry about the outside shot. That is, of course, Corey Kispert on the Washington Wizards, the second of three Washington Wizards we will talk about today. Kispert was the 15th overall pick in the draft just outside the lottery. Uh, Right now, he's expected to be... So ESPN's depth chart have him third string shooting guard. I don't I don't buy it. I don't think that that's correct. Uh, he's got a lot of competition for minutes at the two and three, though. Uh, Kyle Kuzma's Kyle Kuzma, excuse me, is obviously one of them. Raul Nito, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Denny Edvigia, Edvigia. I don't know how to say that name. I apologize. Uh, those guys are all going to compete for minutes at the two and the three, of course, with Bradley Beal as well. So. I'm curious to see where Corey ends up. I don't think again they, they used a 15th pick over the 15th overall pick on him. He was an older guy. You don't draft an older rookie without intending to play them. Uh, he's clearly skilled enough to play at this level right now, uh, at least as a three and D type guy. I think he's got more in his bag than just the outside shooting. But that's kind of that's the question, honestly. We're just leading right into it, the burning question I have for Corey Kispert: This team has a lot of shooters, a lot of of a lot of empty shooters on this roster. What can Corey do to stand out? Is it play more tenacious defense? Is it, you know, be a backdoor cut guy? Is it use more floor vision and actually become more of a playmaker or a creator? What can he do to stand out on this team? Because if all he can do is shoot the outside shot, which I don't believe, but if that's all he demonstrates that he can do, it might be a little bit harder for him to find playing time in year one. Next up, the third of those Washington Wizards, Joel Ayayi. Ayayi went undrafted in 2021, which was a big surprise. I think a lot of mock drafts had him in the 30 to 40 round, or 30 to 40 pick range, which makes it a little surprising that he fell all the way outside of the draft. Uh, within minutes of the draft ending, he signed with the Los Angeles Lakers, clearly proving that teams were interested in him. He probably had multiple offers at the time. He got cut very recently and signed a two-way contract with Washington, similar to the contract Killian Tilly is on where he will spend part of the year in the G League and part of the year on the big roster. So people were mad that the Lakers cut Joel. I understand that. I think Joel EIE is very good, but he did not do himself any favors in the preseason. I think it's it's disingenuous to not talk about this because he was bad. He was straight up bad. He played 46 minutes in the preseason. He only took 10 shots and only made one of them. That's just not going to cut it. When you're trying to compete for a roster spot, you need to do more. He didn't, his characteristic rebounding wasn't there. His playmaking wasn't there. He just, he didn't look good. Now, he's better than that. <laughs> I have no doubt about that. I don't think he's just, I don't think the league is just too good for him. I, I, I don't think that at all. The fact that Washington signed him very quickly after the Lakers released him lets me know that there are plenty of other teams who think he is good too. It is not just the Lakers or anything like that. But he's he's got a more of an uphill battle now than he did before. Because he didn't look good in preseason, now he's on a Washington team that, like we said, is pretty crowded at the two spot. He's on a two-way contract, which is a good deal for him. It means that he's less likely to get cut. It does not mean that he will not get cut, but less likely he's going to cut his teeth in the G League, which is totally fine. Uh, expected role, he's not going to be in the rotation. Uh, he's going to spend the vast majority of the year in the G League, in my mind. And then my burning question is, does he finish the year with Washington? You know, he's already a guy who, who's been moved once. Does Washington have enough patience to hold on to him for the entire year, especially if he does not get off to a super hot start in the G League. Hopefully he gets off to a great start in the G League. He works his way into at least semi-rotation minutes in Washington by the end of the year. But if not, he could be looking at a, a third team during his first NBA season. And last but not least, Kevin Pengos, the uncharacteristic rookie. Pengos spent six years overseas after leaving Gonzaga in 2015. Then he finally got his chance in the NBA. He signed a two-year, $3.5 million contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is awesome for him. 
He played so well the last few years in Europe. He absolutely deserved this. Uh, he averaged six points and three and a half assists during the preseason, but he shot 14% from downtown. That is not going to get it done. He was brought over in part because of his outside shooting, so he's going to need to demonstrate that if he wants to keep his job in Cleveland. Expected role right now is third-string point guard behind Darius Garland and Ricky Rubio. Uh, a lot of garbage time, a lot of... You know, that's that's about it. That's a lot of garbage time, barring an injury, of course, to either Rubio or Garland. That's kind of what his role is going to be. My burning question for Kevin is playing alongside Rubio, a guy who I think there are some similarities in their game. Is that going to help Kevin's feel? You know, he needs to work on the feel of the NBA. He's He played in Europe for a long time. The feel in Europe is different than the feel in the NBA. Now, Rubio is a guy who also played a long time in Europe before coming over to the NBA. A great mentor for him, somebody who can really help him kind of grasp the differences between the NBA game and the European game and the college game. And I think Rubio is going to really help him with that. So my burning question is, do we see those improvements throughout the year from Kevin? All right, 10 Zags currently on NBA rosters. We have covered each and every one of them. Now in the third segment, I want to talk about the many, many other former Gonzaga alumni who I think could find their way into an NBA game this season. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Sweatblock. Sweatblock is currently the number one selling product in Amazon's antiperspirant category, and for good reason. This doctor-created and doctor-recommended product is manufactured right here in the USA and comes with a dry shirt guarantee. That's right, the folks at Sweatblock are so confident in their product that if it doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. So what are you waiting for? You got a big presentation coming up, a job interview, a first date? Give Sweatblock a try, and if it doesn't work, you get your money back. These wipes have been featured and tested on the Rachel Ray Show, where firefighters gave them a go and they came out sweat-free. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You simply add it at night before, the big t- before bedtime, go to bed, the next morning, you wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying about sweat. Guaranteed. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with promo code locked on or at Amazon and CVS. All right. In the first two segments, we broke up discussing the 10 Zags who are going to play in the NBA this season. They're going to play. Barring injuries, they are going to be in the NBA. Now, this list here in segment three is about guys who probably won't play in the NBA, may or may not play in the NBA. My hope is that a few of these guys do and we see 11 or 12 different Zags make their debuts or at least play in the NBA this season. We'll start out with Philip Petrusev. I start with him even though he's not going to play in the NBA this year because he was drafted. He was the 50th overall pick by the 76ers in 2021, but he's not going to join the team this year. They've elected to keep him overseas. He is playing in Turkey. He played in Serbia last year. His home country was absolutely dominant. So we will see him in the NBA. He, the, the 76ers did not draft him to not play him in the NBA at some point. But for this year, they have a roster crutch. They didn't find room for him. He elected to stay in Turkey, but they own his rights for when he does come over to the league. Next up is David Stockton, who's been in the news recently. He last played in the NBA in 2018 with his dad's team, the Utah Jazz. He was signed by Memphis just a few days ago and then waived one day later. It was reported there may have been a hamstring injury involved in that. I don't know. There hasn't been a lot of clarity on what happened there. But Stockton has been really, really good in the G League, and he's played in Puerto Rico this last year and was really good there, put up some staggering, huge numbers. My guess is Memphis signed him knowing that he wasn't going to make the final roster, but potentially signing him so they could convince him to play with the Memphis Hustle, their G League squad, and potentially call him up that way. I don't know a ton about how that works. There's some kind of... 
wonkiness with how G League teams are affiliated with the professional teams. It's something that the NBA, frankly, should solidify more, have bigger rosters, have a, a more dedicated minor league system. That's a topic for another episode. Regardless, the team signed David Stockton a few days ago, so clearly there is the opportunity for him to potentially play in the NBA this year, depending on whether he signs in the G League or decides to go back overseas. Next up is Zach Norvell. Zach Norvell is currently unsigned. He played five games in the NBA in the 2019-2020 season. He last played for the Santa Cruz Warriors, the G League team. He was cut in February of 2021 with an injury. I don't know a ton of details about that, but he remains unsigned. Again, much longer conversation about the potential perils of leaving early. I don't know that I would never criticize Zach for this decision because I think leaving school to go get your go get your paycheck and go play professionally is never a bad thing. But obviously it has not worked out well for Snacks, and I hope that the next time we have a conversation about him, it is reversing these fortunes. Next up, Jeremy Pargo. He played in the NBA in 2020 as well. He signed a 10-day contract, ended up balling out right away. It was his first time in the NBA in six years. I read it was the sixth longest gap between NBA appearances of all time, which is a pretty cool fact. Uh, he signed in Israel this year back in February, so I don't think he's going to be back in the NBA. But a guy, again, who played very recently, you never know. Nigel Williams-Goss is next. He was also with the Utah Jazz last season very briefly. He signed a two-year deal with Real Madrid, one of the top teams in Europe. Kind of going the Kevin Pangos route where it looks like he's going to play a couple years overseas and then hopefully try to get back into the league that way. Uh, definitely could happen. A guy who's talented enough to play in the NBA but just hasn't hasn't got a chance really yet. So hopefully he can ball out in Europe and, and get that chance down the line. Next up, Jonathan Williams. He was also in the NBA in the 1920 season with the Washington Wizards. He signed in England in August of 2021, so just a few months ago. Again, last time that, or one of the last times Jonathan Williams signed overseas, he had an opt out in his contract where he could come back and play in the NBA if he got the opportunity. Could definitely happen again this year with him. And then the last two guys, probably the least likely to end up in the NBA, number one is Kyle Wilcher. He was last in the NBA in 2017. He signed in the Spanish League this offseason after spending the last couple of years in Turkey with Turk Telecom. He was extremely good with them. I mean, really good. He's one of the best players in Europe, bar none. That's why I want him on here, because when you are one of the best players in Europe, you frequently get chances to play in the NBA. And when you're six foot eleven and can shoot the three, you get a lot of chances in the NBA. Now his athleticism is was lacking, which was part of the reason he didn't stick around when his first go around in the NBA. But if he keeps balling out in Europe, teams are gonna have to give him a shot. And finally, last but not least, the only player on this list who has not played in the NBA, that's Ryan Woolridge. I put Ryan Woolridge on here because when he played in the G League last year, he looked really good. He put up good numbers, not great elite numbers, but good numbers. He also showed off a ton of bounce. He had back-to-back, I think, weeks where he had highlight reel, like SportsCenter top 10 dunks. Not something we saw from him a lot in college. A guy that I'm really excited about now, he signed in Greece in July of 2021. So he's moved on from the G League. He's going to go play overseas. It's more lucrative. It's more job security. I totally understand all of that. But after seeing what he did in the G League, I'm a little bit more optimistic that maybe he does get a chance in the NBA at some point. I don't know if it's going to happen this year because, again, teams like to sign guys out of the G League because they have access to them right away. They don't like to sign guys overseas and wait for them to come back, especially during COVID times right now. But uh, Woolridge is a guy that I think has more NBA potential than I might have thought initially. All right, 18 players covered in today's episode a lot of different guys to talk about 10 of them for sure in the nba a couple more who might sneak in it's going to be an incredible season not just for gonzaga the team but for the alumni as well i'm so excited to watch nba basketball this year you give me a memphis versus washington game we get to see five guys it's going to be so much fun Uh, it was nice to take a little break from the player previews but we're back 
We're going to be back into them very soon. Our next episode coming out on Wednesday is going to discuss one of the most intriguing newbies on the roster. That would be super athletic combo guard Hunter Salas right here on the Locked on Zags podcast available wherever you get your podcasts and soon to be available on YouTube. Another reminder, podcast links will also be available on Twitter at Locked on Zags and on my own personal Twitter account, which can be found at ScoreZagsScore. Finally, in the lieu of today's topic, now is a great time to make your next listen the Locked On NBA podcast. You can get all of your daily NBA updates from a variety of league experts while checking in on your favorite Zags playing at the next level. Thank you for listening, and go Zags!